So I am extremely grateful that today we are celebrating this milestone of a fifth anniversary. Um, I'm grateful for a bunch of reasons, one of them being that not every church plant makes it to this point. Uh, there are incredible challenges and unbelievable obstacles that are just fierce when it comes to starting a, a brand new church and starting up from scratch. I mean, the, the difficulties of it are like legit and for real. I mean, just look at me. A few years ago, I had like hair like a lion. I mean, this, this takes its toll on you, man. Let me tell you, I, I've aged, and not like a fine wine, more like cheese. Like this, this has been extremely difficult, just the, the physical demand, just the physical side of it. In our short little history, I've had rotator cuff surgery on both shoulders, Knee surgery on my right knee and surgery on my right wrist to remove a drill bit. Church planting is turning me into a cyborg. Like, I, it's just going to be the end of me. And, and I joke about it. And the, it's not really the physical thing. It's the emotional toil. It's, it's the spiritual weight of it. Because when, when it all is said and done, what this is about, it's just about speaking eternal matters into the lives of real people that we are surrounded and we are right now in the presence of one another, real people with real problems in need of God's love, hearing it for the first time or being reminded about it for the 10,000th time. Like, the, this is the weight of it. Like, this is why we do what we do, why we've been at this, and why we continue to do it, and why we will not get uh, de derailed by, by any of the stuff that comes our way, the, the challenges and all that. Um, this has by far, hands down, without a question, been the most difficult, the most challenging, the most gut-wrenching thing, experience that I have ever under, undergone. And simultaneously, it is the most joyful and the most meaningful and the most fulfilling, the most satisfying and the most life-transforming experience that I have ever gone through. It is because of being part of this unique work known as Anthem Church uh, that I've gotten to see God's gracious provision and mighty protection in ways that I would not have seen if not for having been part of this work when we planted this church. Folks, I have seen God's supernatural hand at work. I've seen miracles. We don't talk about this today because you don't want to be one of those Christians that actually believes in miracles. I do. And I've seen them. I've seen God's power. I've seen people healed. It happens. It's real. I've been in times where I pray for someone and the person got healed. I've seen it. I've seen people break addictions over the last several years. I've seen marriages saved over the last few years. And I've seen the greatest miracle that there is to see. People get saved, come to Jesus, get baptized. It is clear that God is at work, right? That, that he is among us and that he's doing greater things. I, I'm seeing people actually legitimately and sincerely grow as love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. And that brings me comfort. 
like when it gets hard and when it has been hard and when there's difficulties and it gets personal and there's attacks and there's all that stuff, I look around and I know that God's at work and that brings strength to my, to my heart. And not just that. You know what else comforts me? I've not been alone. I have not been alone. Uh, to those, and I never will say the names because I'll forget somebody, to a special thank you to those that we call the core group, that original group in 2012, August 2012, a few of us got together in a room and said, let's plan a church. And there were like eight families that came together, some we'd known for a while and some we just had barely met and didn't know. And here we are, and we became church planters. And to, you know who you are, I could not have asked for a better group, better friends. I'm humble, truly. I don't say it enough, I, partly because I don't feel like my thank you is enough, and the words fall so short that it just, I was like, is that all I got? I don't have the money to buy you a nice present. But I could not have asked for a better group of friends and co-laborers, and I, I'm truly humbled by your sacrifice and for keeping my arms up and uh, for being just friends in the midst of what is the most difficult task on the planet. Um, I do want you guys to know, you are here that are part of that core group. Um, there are people, many, that are drinking high-quality H2O because of the well that you had dug Living water. There are people that are drinking living water because you bowed your back and you got after it. So be encouraged. Uh, you'll hear those words. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. To the rest of the room, to all the anthemers, thank you um, for your financial giving, your tithes and your offering, for serving kids and teaching Sunday school for cleaning the building throughout the week, making sure that it's nicely decorated, getting here early on a Sunday and making coffee, um, welcoming people as they come in, helping out in the parking lot, um, running slides and sound in the back, singing and playing instruments up here, um, leading Bible studies in small groups, for being part of community outreach and for being part of service projects, for all that you've done, you are a church that's on mission. You're doing it. You're doing it. So thank you. I salute, salute all of y'all. I could throw in some for those about to rock, but <laughs> <laughs> honestly, thank you. We wouldn't be here. I mean, this is why we're here. It's because of you guys, right? Um, it is a special day, and we do celebrate this fifth anniversary, but I do want to be clear about this one thing. We are not here to celebrate Anthem Church. We're here to celebrate the God of Anthem Church. We give praise to the God whose favor has been upon us, whose blessing has been upon us, who has grown us in numbers, and who's growing us as a force for good in this community. So with that, open up your Bible if you have your Bible, and I always hope that you have your Bible Please open up to the book of Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. It's right in between the book of Ezra and Esther. And we're going to start out in Nehemiah chapter 2. And today, we're going to look um, at this very specific story that we need to, to look at, I think, on this special day. Because we do look back on an anniversary. Isn't that what we do? 
a birthday, an anniversary, right? We look back and we reflect. So today we're reflecting on how far God has gotten us and how faithful God has been over uh, the last several years. Uh, Today we look back and we reflect on those things. But today I want you to know that we're not just looking back. We're looking back for the sake of moving forward. And that's what the story in Nehemiah helps us to do. Uh, I want us to get excited, not just about what we've seen over the last year, one, two, three, four, five, but to get excited about what's coming because there's greater things that are in store. We talk about this all the time. There's more work to be done. There's more people to be reached. There's more lives to be transformed. There's more baptisms to be performed, right? There's just more to be done. So I want us to get excited about the greater things that are, in fact, coming our way. So Nehemiah, it's, it's this wonderful reminder of the posture that we as followers of Jesus that we need to have. And that posture is this, always lean forward. Always be moving forward. Always forward. Always. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 18 says, And I told them, so Nehemiah is speaking. He's speaking to his countrymen here. I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. I need to set the scene here. If you're a history person, you're going to love the next couple of minutes. All right. If you're not, just bear with me. The year is 597 B.C. 597 Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, they're the bullies on the block. In 597 B.C., they began a 10-year-long campaign of just constantly attacking Jerusalem, just going after Jerusalem. And it was every attack that would grab Jews out of the land and take and deport them. They would take them out of their homeland, out of Israel, and remove them to the Babylonian Empire. This goes on for 10 years. And finally, in 587 B.C., Babylon deals this death blow on Jerusalem. It's a, they sack the city. They destroy the walls of the city. They destroy the temple. They remove even more people out of the land and remove them. Like, so 587, this death blow comes upon Jerusalem. Fast forward 50 years. Now it's 539 B.C. At that point, Babylon fell to the Persian Empire. So now Persia is the big, the big bully on the block. Well, in that year, 539 B.C., the Persian emperor Cyrus, the king of Persia, he issues a decree that allows the Jews to leave and go back home for the purpose of rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed 50 years earlier. So the Jews, they returned, and it took them 20 years to rebuild the temple. It shouldn't have taken them that long. They took their time. They were a bit slow. They lacked a bit of urgency. It took them 12 years, and they completed that work in 516 B.C. So the people have returned. The temple is built. Worship is reestablished. Well, what needs to be done now? they got to rebuild the city, which includes rebuilding the walls around the city. It was a matter of protection. Like, back in the day, there were these, all these warring factions and people constant. Like, it was always at war and at each other. So the walls, they absolutely needed for the sake of protection. So we read in the book of Ezra, which is the book previous to Nehemiah, in chapter 4, verse 12, it actually tells us that the work begins on the wall. They start rebuilding the wall then. That's around 458 B.C. So temple was finished in 516, 60 years later, hey, let's build a wall. 
Like, it's amazing that it makes us two generations. Like, why aren't they more urgent? Why are they so slow? Well, part of it is just lack of obedience. Part of it is lack of faith. Part of it, y'all, is that in that situation, every time they tried to lift the stone, someone would come after them. Someone would condemn them. They were completely persecuted and oppressed. So, yeah, they could have been more urgent, but part of it was people were just attacking constantly. So, I mean, that's why it's like, 60 years later, they finally, okay, well, I guess we'll build, build the wall. This brings us now to the book of Nehemiah, where we are. So in chapter 1, it's now 445 B.C., 150 base, 140 years after the temple had been destroyed. Okay, so 445 B.C., we're introduced to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a Jew who is living in Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire, he, ne- he, didn't, he doesn't know Israel. He doesn't know Jerusalem. He's never been there. He didn't grow up there. He was born in a foreign land, right? So we're introduced to this guy. We, we come to learn from the, the story that he is a cupbearer, uh, which means that any time the, the king, the emperor of Persia, is given something to drink, he has to taste it first to make sure it hasn't been poisoned. How do you explain that career track to your parents? You go to college. They're paying for your college, right? So what are you going to major in? I don't know. Cup bearing. Sounds right. Really? Like, I don't, I don't know how that works. But anyway, well, the reason why is that basically he's an inferior citizen. He probably isn't even a citizen. He's really a slave. He's been deported. He's a Jew, right? So he's expendable. So that's why he's the cup bearer. So anyway, in chapter 1, verse 3, we're informed that fellow Jews who had traveled back to Jerusalem inform Nehemiah that the people, his people back home, are in great trouble and shame. And the reason they're in great trouble and shame is because there's no what? No walls. See, here's the thing. In Ezra, the previous book, they start rebuilding the wall where something happened. Either they didn't finish it, or more than likely what the text implies in Ezra is that the walls that they did start building, guess what happened to them? They got destroyed and burned up and torn down by the people that were constantly at war with them. So when, when uh, Nehemiah hears that this project that started just a few years earlier basically has gotten retorn down, he starts weeping and grieving. So we're introduced to Nehemiah's heart in chapter 1, verse 4, with the, the thought of people being in great distress and in shame breaks, breaks his heart. It brings him to tears. But it, it wasn't just that he was emotional. It wasn't just that he felt bad for the people. Like it actually, he turns his grief toward God. There's a lesson right there. He prays to God and he fasts. So when you're broken, when you're hurting, when you're sorrowful, when something doesn't go your way and you're eat up and you're concerned about someone... That sorrow, that grief, that emotion that you feel, aim it. Aim it at God. Take it to the Lord, okay? Pray. That's what Nehemiah does here. In chapter 1, verse 11, it tells us specifically what it is that he prays for. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What is happening in that test? That in the prayer, he is asking God to give him the opportunity to go back all the way to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And he asks Give me favor in the eyes of this man, meaning the emperor. 
King Artaxerxes at the time, Artaxerxes. Because before Nehemiah can leave his post as the cupbearer, guess who has to approve it? King Artaxerxes. So he, he's asking God, make a way, do something so that this king will let me go. So then one day, we read later in chapter, in chapter 2, actually, that Artaxerxes notices the long look on Nehemiah's face, and he asks him why he's so sad, why so serious. He asks him, and Nehemiah did something very bold. He actually told him why. It's because I hear that my home has been destroyed because the people are ruined. The city is ruined. And so Artaxerxes asked him, so what do you want? And Nehemiah answers and says, can I get some time off and travel to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall? He's virtually a slave. Why would Artaxerxes let him go? Well, if that's not a bold enough ask, Nehemiah says, and can you foot the bill for rebuilding the wall? He says, can you supply all the construction equipment and supplies needed? Think about it. Artaxerxes is not a believer. He's not a Jew. He is not a worshiper of God. Why in the world would he allow this? Like, whether or not Jerusalem has a wall around it, what concern is that? Jerusalem, by their standard, is a podunk town in the middle of nowhere. It's nothing. What, what does Artaxerxes care whether or not it has a wall? And what we see in the story is that a miracle took place. That God actually, from his throne, reached into the mind and the heart of Artaxerxes and did something so that the king goes, okay, you can go and yeah, I'll foot the bill. Nice, right? Well, you would imagine you'd be pretty pumped. So Nehemiah, he gets on his horse <laughs> or camel or whatever. I mean, he makes the trip. He makes the trip emboldened all the way to Jerusalem because this is what you do when there's a problem. Like, it's, it's, it's okay to be grieved that someone has a problem and to feel sorry and empathy for that person. That's nice. And then it's good to actually be so sorrowful over a problem that you see to pray to God. But the right thing is you feel sorry, you pray to God, and then you do something about it. And that's what we see Nehemiah does. Like, he, he, he steps out in faith, and he, then he takes action. Basically, what he did here was that he took the advice of Nicolas Cage in National Treasure. If there's something wrong, those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. Why not? <laughs> in chapter 2, verse 12, it actually tells us that God put it in Nehemiah's heart what needed to be done. Like, God gave him a vision, which is a word that, by the way, we throw around way too loosely nowadays. No, God actually gave him a vision. This is what needs to be done. This is how it's going to get done. So Nehemiah makes it all the way to Jerusalem. Before he says anything, there's wisdom in this. He walks around. He checks things out. He gets a lay of the land. He inspects the city. He takes a look at all the rubble. And then he speaks. He gathers the people, and he says to them in Nehemiah 2.17, 
you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. So he calls the people to take action. Come on, y'all. We've got work to do. It's time to get it done. Let's, let's get after it. Let's, let's rebuild this wall, which is an extremely hard ask to make of these people that have been nothing but beat down for generations. Every time they try to do something, it's just torn back down. It's like your five-year-old building Lego blocks, and a two-year-old comes over and just knocks it down. It's just chaos and madness at that point. That's what's happening. So that's why, and this brings us back to where we started, verse 17. That's why Nehemiah adds the words in verse 17. And I told them of the hand of my God that has been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. Nehemiah goes to these people. It's like, I know how hard this is. I know that you tried, but guess what? God is with us now. God is with us. Let me share what Artaxerxes doing. He let me come. God did that. He's paying for it. God did that. God is with us. And he's at work. And he's at work. Does it make any difference knowing whether or not God is with us? Take your time if you need to. Does it make any difference knowing that God is with you? Does it make any difference knowing where God is at work? I think it does. So I'm going to step out here. You ready? I, Rick Gutierrez, the pastor of Anthem Church, I do proclaim with all sincerity and in all humility, with all joy in Christ, that God is with Anthem Church and that he's at work here. God's favor is upon our church family and our mission. How do I know that? As quickly as I possibly can. First, we're in a building that shows God's hand. I don't have time this morning to tell the whole story. I'm actually going to do it next month, so you have to come back. But the fact that we're in this building is miraculous, how it happened. Um, one of the reasons why so many church plants struggle and don't make it is because of their facility. It's in a bad location. It's too small, so it bottlenecks the growth, or it costs too much, and it kills your budget, and you can't do anything. So here we are, this group, we're together. We don't know what we're doing. we got to plant a church. We don't have a place to meet. Out of nowhere, really, God just drops this building in our lap. Folks, location, great location, major highway within the city limits. We knew we needed to have a church in the city limits There'd been over a generation before a new gospel work had started in this town, and it's growing. Like it needed a new work. Okay? Great location. 20,000 square feet. Plenty of room to grow into and, and to keep going. Guess what? The owner at the time, $1,000 a month. It's two acres within the city limits, 20,000 square feet. It's got a sprinkler system. Folks, I thought, like, I wonder how many of you's mortgage is higher than $1,000 a month. That's amazing. Well, it turns out that the place needed to be rezoned because it was not permitted by the town for a church to meet at 455 West Depot Street. So we had to go through this awful process. And 
people that are in the know will tell you, man, the, the, it, the cards were stacked against us. Like, the town officials did not want to rezone this property for a church to use it. They were against it. From a human, earthly perspective, we were outmanned. Thing is, we weren't outplanned because it was God's plan for 455 to be used as a place where Anthem Church operates. So here we go. We go through this whole thing. And so here God comes. And, and we saw in that process, in all of these planning meetings and town meetings with commissioners and mayors and all this stuff, they did not want this to happen. They didn't want it to rezone. And we literally saw in the meetings, it's hard to describe unless you were there, a person say no and turn around and 10 seconds later go yes with tears in their eyes. Like we saw God do at those meetings what God did to Artaxerxes thousands of years ago. God's favor is upon the Anthem Church. Then we had to go to the work of upfitting the building. It was going to cost $47,000. We're a small group of eight families. We've never had a worship service before. We've never collected a penny as an offering. How in the world are we going to get $47,000? We didn't have to. God provided every penny, everything, seating, sound equipment, stuff for children's room, everything. Just started, it just started coming started happening. And, and then you, you look that in five years' time, we went from the eight families to averaging the last couple of months, like in the 160s. Consider that the average church in, in America is 67 people. The average church. Consider how small Andrew is. It's not like we're in downtown Raleigh where you throw a stick and then you hit 30,000 people. I don't know why I said it that way, but that's, I mean, <laughs> that's a service project. Let's go to downtown Raleigh and throw sticks. Um, throw a cat. Uh, swing a cat. I don't know. Whatever you want to say. I'll make my own, uh, my own colloquialisms. Um, folks, within the city limits of Andrews, only 5,000 people. And to go from eight families to in the 160s in less than five years, what does that tell you? And we don't take credit for this. This is the Lord's doing. His favor's upon us. And you know what's more important than buildings and chairs and even how many numbers there may be on a Sunday morning? Guess what's more important? Seeing people come to Christ. And we're seeing it. Young people, older people. We're seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's favor is upon us. So then how are we going to respond? How do you respond to that? There's three ways to respond. We can respond the way the people did in chapter 2, verse 18. Well, when they heard the words that God was with them and on their side, they said, all right, let us rise up and build. I mean, we can respond like that. Or we could respond the way the people did in the next verse, where there were those who instantly just started opposing God's work. And by the way, folks, I happen to know for a fact that there are people in town who are directly, explicitly opposed to Anthem Church in our work. I've heard it point blank. 
So are we going to be people who say, let's arise and work, or are we going to be like the haters and oppose what God is doing? Or we can be like the people in chapter 3, verse 5, who say, well, I'm not opposed, but I'm just really not going to do anything about it. Basically trying to be a spiritual Switzerland, trying to take some kind of neutral position because, well, it's, it's all well and good, but it just kind of doesn't fit my schedule right now. Or, you know, well, you're not doing it the way I want you to do it, so I'm just going to take my toys home and go, go home. So, I mean, so we could take that kind of position where I'm just not going to serve or I'm not going to do. But Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, very clearly, he says, if you're not for me, you are against me. And in that verse, he says, if you do not gather, you scatter. Meaning, there's no in-between. There's no like, well, I'll wait to see what happens. I'm either in with what God is doing or I'm out. And if I'm out, I am by default and by definition in opposition to the good work that God is doing. So if we know that God is at work here, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Are we going to rise and build? Are we going to oppose? Or are we going to try to take this neutrality position, which isn't one, actually? Folks, I want you to know this, that life itself is a rebuilding project. Life is. And just think about this. We build our house only to have it, like, torn down by an earthquake or a tornado or burned up by a wildfire or eaten by termites. And then what do we do? Rebuild. Sports. A championship team. The next year, someone gets traded, someone uh, goes on waivers, someone gets hurt, someone retires, and then the team has to rebuild. Do you have a car long enough? You got to rebuild the transmission. You got to rebuild the the uh, the engine itself. A country goes through an economic regression or uh, recession or depression. What do we have to do? We have to rebuild the economy. I tore my rotator cuff. Doctors had to go in, rebuild it. Like life is not much more than constant rebuilding. Something is always in need of being rebuilt. And that which needs building and rebuilding more than anything are individual people's lives. And the way that people's lives are rebuilt is through Jesus Christ. What people need is to be rebuilt. People, I want you to think about this. When you go to the grocery store, when you go to work, or when you go to school, or wherever you may be, the people around you, they're literally walking heaps of rubble. Just like in, the, in that story in Nehemiah where the, the gates and the walls are torn down and burnt down and destroyed, folks, there are people all over us in our neighborhood, etc., whose lives have been burned down and torn down and destroyed by their sin and the sin of other people. They're hurting and they're oppressed. They're persecuted and they're attacked. They're lonely and they're depressed and they're addicted. They're hurting. They're spiritually malnourished. They need their lives rebuilt. And the way that happens is by the grace of God and through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God Almighty who left the comforts and the warmth and the coolness and the splendor of heaven through the supernatural work of God's power, comes supernaturally, miraculously through a virgin birth. He took on human form, became one of us to identify with us, to be able to represent us on earth because we messed it up, we sinned. Unlike us, he was tempted in every way. He never sinned. All he ever did was tell the truth. All he ever did was help people, feed people, cure people. 
just wanted to share God's love with people, but because we love darkness, we hated him who is the light, so we hated him and we nailed him to a cross. Isn't that amazing? It, it occurred to me this this morning about the cross. It wasn't enough to kill him. We felt the need to torture him. But anyway, we torture him to kill him because we don't want him around because we want to be our own boss and we don't want anyone to tell us any different. So here comes Jesus and he goes to the cross and on the cross, God, because only God can do this, he took the most ugly moment in history and turned it into the most beautiful. He took our sin and he placed it upon Jesus and there Jesus paid the penalty. He foot the bill. He paid the cost. Every sin, every lie, every thought that we shouldn't have, it, it comes with an eternal cost of separation from God. God loves us, and he wants us to be with him. So Jesus paid the cost so that whosoever believes in him can be forgiven and be with him forever. Receive eternal life. Be immersed into Jesus and become a brand new person. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation upon all from which all lives find themselves rebuilt. It's Jesus. Jesus. And this is what he's doing at and through Anthem Church. That's what he's up to. That's why he's with us. That's why he's equipping us and blessing us and adding to our numbers that we would get after it, arise and build lives and fill Andrew in the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. Christian leadership guru, pastor, theologian, Henry Blackaby once said, watch to see where God is working and join him in his work. Anthem Church is not random, y'all. This was not our invention. This was God's plan since before the foundations of the earth. We are here on purpose and with a purpose, and God is clearly at work through this little church family him and so they're here and the question is are we going to join him in it first we celebrate today we celebrate the last five years we celebrate the goodness but man may it stir us and compel us to move forward to keep getting after it to not just believe but to participate to be instruments and agents of god's grace move forward folks there are greater things for us to do, meaning there's just more people to reach. Just more people to reach. So what are we going to do? If God is here, and he is, and by the way, God is real, and his love is real, and his power is real, and Jesus is real, the cross was real, the resurrection is real, heaven is real, it's real. And if God is really with us, his favor is upon us, what do you do? I'll answer it for you. Arise. Let's build. I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes and bow your head. The praise team is going to come and lead us on the final song. I'm just going to ask a couple of questions for you to think about as you pray. Number one, it's hard to be part of a rebuilding project if you yourself have not been rebuilt. So you might be here this morning and you're finally realizing that you personally have never given your life to Jesus or that you've never really placed your faith in him, that you know about him and you've gone to church some, but you've never really dedicated yourself from your, the depths of your heart to follow him. 
If that's you right now, just cry out from the depths of your heart to God. He loves you. The cross proves how much God loves you. Say, God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I've tried doing it my way. I've run from you. I've rebelled. I've tried doing it my way. I'm tired of that, Lord. I want you to rebuild me. Make me new. Immerse me into your son, Jesus. Make me a new creation. I want to know hope. I want to be secure that I'm going to be with you forever. So if that's you, just cry out from where you are. Just cry out to him. Is that the decision you need to make this morning? If that's you, don't hesitate. Say yes to Jesus. Become one of these people that we celebrate. That we celebrate the gospel in. If that's you this morning, all eyes are closed, all heads are bowed, no one's looking around. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? If you need to give your life to Christ where you sit right now, would you raise your hand? All right, praise God. For the rest of us, what's the response you need to take this morning? What's the step of faith and obedience that you need to take this morning? God is calling you to arise and build. It might be a neighbor that you're supposed to share the gospel with. It might be taking a step as a, a husband or a father in the right direction to disciple your family. It might be that you're a wife in need of offering forgiveness to your children for something they've said, a, a mother. might be that God is calling you to, to step forward and serve in some way, not necessarily at church, but in the community or a neighbor. What's the step that God would have you to take? What is he specifically calling you to arise and build? God, you are good and you are gracious, and you are merciful. You're forgiving, slow to anger, compassionate, wise. Your father, a friend, a brother, a counselor, a king. God, you love every person in this room, in this building. You sent your son to lift us, to rescue us for the forgiveness of our sin. God, you want to see our lives transformed and conformed to the image of your Son. You want this church, Lord, to be a beacon of light and of hope, a carrier of the gospel message. Lord, give us the boldness, the opportunity, the grace, the wisdom to go out and do the work you've called us to do. We are encouraged that you are with us. We're encouraged that you're at work here. Now propel us, Lord, that we may do greater things. In Jesus' name, amen.